0: do you sort out the so-called jargon from real-world practices that work? Do the members of your organization find some business advice utterly confusing? Welcome to the 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holtzman. In this program, we set the record straight and in terms that people at any level of business and technology can understand. Now, here is your host, Sam Holtzman.
1: Welcome to this edition of the 2020s Enterprise. I'm Sam Holtzman and uh, today's episode is entitled data-driven marketing the key to digital transformation in just a few minutes you'll see why we call this episode data-driven marketing Uh, but as we all know uh, technology has changed the way companies deliver their marketing message uh, but has not changed the basic marketing principles that are out there Uh, customer data is the most valuable asset a company has and customers view reviews online and through other people and things like that as a way of deciding uh, which companies to do business with. Consumers expect an instant and frictionless experience with the companies they do business with, and they see this all the time through the technology that we have out there. And data and customer information allow these companies to hyper-target the marketing message. I mean, almost down to the individual that's out there. Sometimes a little scary, as we know (laughs) But of course, underlying all this is privacy, a concern that needs to be addressed. And in this episode of the 2020s Enterprise, we are privileged to have as our guest, Clark Keller, who is the CEO of Data Driven Marketing. Boy, Sam, you're so clever calling this particular episode the same way. (laughs) It's a company that has been in this field since 1994. And Clark is going to give us some unique insights into marketing in the digital age that we're all in uh, from one of the original thinkers in this particular field. And the name of this company today is as relevant as it was in 1994. And uh, we hope that you'll get some extremely revel- relevant insights uh, into this digital age that we're in and Clark's experience in this particular area. So to get started, I'd like to introduce Clark. And just uh, Clark, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into this uh, crazy game well before it was popular.
2: Well, thank you, Sam. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, I'm excited to be here. Well, uh, personal uh, information. uh, I live in a small town uh, just in the middle of Michigan, kind of a rural area, and. my wife and I have uh, been here for uh, 16 years. We've been uh, married for 29. And uh, my wife is my uh, business partner as well as my uh, my uh, my wife. And uh, we uh, continually get asked from people how it is to work together all the time, 100%. And uh, we just make it work. So uh, that's kind of unique in uh, for us, I guess. And,
1: how and I you can... still talk to each other.
2: We do. We actually okay. do. Yeah. And... Uh, <laughs> It's amazing. We, we, we do get asked quite often, how is it uh, like to be working together? We, we've had, uh, for the last 25 years, we've shared an office. We don't even have a divider in the office, and we're basically together 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And uh, I guess uh, some people find that hard, but it, it works for us. So anyway, that's, that's on the personal side. As far as um, the business side, the way we uh, started back in 1994... We originally started uh, with the idea of using data and technology to go about the process of helping small businesses, not big businesses, but small businesses, meaning local companies and you know, uh, you know, retail stores and that type of thing, be able to take advantage of technology as it evolved and to be able to add uh, to their marketing the uh, ability to use data to help improve it, and so forth. So that's kind of how we uh, how we originally started, uh, you know, back in '94. And uh, one of the other things that's interesting about that, or at least I think it's interesting, is that back in '94, when we thought about it, and we came up with our name, data-driven marketing, we spent the next six or seven years explaining to people what that meant. And now today, <laughs> today everything is data-driven, and there's courses, there's books, there's all kinds of things. And uh, I heard on TV the other day that they're even handling the uh, opening up of the country in a data-driven methodology. So uh, now people just think we're cashing in on the trend. But in reality, we uh, we thought that through 25 years ago.
1: Well, I know that you get one penny for every time it's used on television, so things should be pretty good right now, right?
2: That would, be, that would be great. That would be great. That would. I, you know, we, sh- we should have thought of it back then. But then, like I said, back then, uh, nobody knew what it was. So we, uh, we didn't do that.
1: Well, I've, I've had the privilege of knowing uh, Clark and Kent for uh, – <clears throat> Clark and Kathy, excuse me, Clark and Kent. Wow. Clark and Kathy for uh, a a couple of days now. Uh, When I say a couple of days, it's uh, decades, actually, uh, that I've had the privilege of working with them. And and Clark, uh, before I get into the digital stuff, uh, I know that uh, you and Kathy were quite involved in the uh, good old days of sending things in the mail. And uh, uh, if anybody remembers what mail is, uh, you know, it's that paper stuff that... uh, that we sometimes see here. As you were transitioning, uh, was there anything that stuck out to you as far as what was happening in the, quote, good old days, if I can say the paper days, uh, you know, the snail mail and things like that versus what you're seeing now? uh, Are there any similarities or is it vastly different from from your uh, understanding?
2: Well, yes and yes. Uh, It's vastly different, but it's also very similar in some aspects. Uh, I think the best way to characterize what I felt at the time as it was evolving as to what was happening is the fact that technology has created a super speed-to-market type mentality. And to kind of put a pin in that, when we back were doing uh, direct mail, if we were going to do a campaign for a company and they were going to put out like 50,000 mailers or something like that for uh, maybe good Friday or not good Friday, but uh, you know, um, uh, you know, for the Christmas Friday, um, we'd start 90 days ahead of time at least. And you'd have to figure out exactly what the copy was going to be, what lists you're going to use, what, uh, how we're going to have the graphics and it would go back and forth. And because there was lead times between time that you could, get everything set up, and then you could get approvals, and then you'd go to the printer and everything, and then you had to figure into the fact of the post office doesn't guarantee when they'll deliver stuff, so if you've got a very special date that a sale is going to be or an advertisement has to go out, you've got to back that up, and so it was a big, long, expensive process, and um, it also was very expensive because of the cost of all of the uh, printing and the uh, postage and so forth. Well, you compare that to today, if I have a customer who says that I just had a great idea, let's have a sale next Tuesday, we can put that together and make that happen for a tenth of the cost and make it happen a couple of days is all that we'd need in order to be able to pull off an effective uh, marketing campaign. So that's really what I saw, and that that was not a overnight process. That was a gradual process. Every new change, every new thing, every uh, new nuance to the technology added to the fact of how quickly and how rapidly we can uh, we can do things. And, uh, and and the other part is is part of the uh, approval process is so much less because back in the day, if you were getting ready to print a brochure. Boy, you had to make sure everything was just the way you wanted it. it. Went back and forth, back and forth, because once you printed it, it's done. Whereas today, you know, if you put up something and you see, oh, I really wish I'd have said that, I can change it, and it's changed. It's done. It's over because it's all, all all online.
1: Fantastic. So back in back in those good old days, uh, we had uh, one jagunga organization called the United States Postal Service that was sort of the intermediary between a company and its clients or potential clients, uh, today, um, things are a little different. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and, uh, I'm going to suggest things like, uh, you know, Google and Facebook and, uh, uh, LinkedIn and all the other sources.
2: Yeah. And ter- uh, you know, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. There's a, uh- banner ads there's uh email there's uh any number of different communications channels there's there's many 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 communications channels that are available to people today
1: so the the uh the internet was supposed to be the the great equalizer for all types of businesses uh but uh there's also of course evil doers out there that decide that uh we're going to get to people's mailboxes, electronic mailboxes, and uh, in between us and those mailboxes are, for example, like Google, uh, that sort of makes decisions as to what the quality of that particular mail is. And, of course, we all know the, the concept of spam and things like that. Uh, uh, for the, a business person you know, that's out there, uh, how do you see the stratification between things like google and facebook and uh, linkedin uh, um, do you see those as equal or different or uh, in your experiences what are you seeing with all of those different delivery options that are out there
2: well the thing that i try to explain to people is that you really need to own your own data And what I mean by that is, is that many people spend a lot of energy and a lot of time making sure that they have a big presence on like Facebook or LinkedIn or or what have you. And that's all fine. You should have that. But they are owning that data. They're the ones that can decide if and what you're able to do uh, as far as marketing to that group of people that you've cultivated on those platforms. So I always tell people that they really need to make sure that they own their own data. And what the only way you can do that is get people to uh, opt in and give you their, either their phone number, their address, or their email. And that becomes your method then of making sure that you can always be able to communicate with them. And the same thing is true with um Uh, when you talk about doing advertising on the different platforms. We do a lot of different advertising for customers on Facebook, on Google, on LinkedIn, and, uh, and so forth. But there again, people need to realize that the rules about what can be done and what can be said belong to them. So that's why we promote and tell people not only own your own data, But you have to think in terms of an omni-channel way of communicating with people. So if you're communicating with Facebook, you really need to be able to have uh, another channel, which might be uh, text messaging, it might be email, it might be on Google, it might be somewhere else. But you need to be multiple ways of communicating out. Matter of fact, I recommend to everybody that we communicate most of the time on all the channels simultaneously. Because it the the rules change all the time, and they uh, continually are making it more difficult uh, for for customers to uh, be able to get their message out.
1: So the the multi channel approach, um, you know, that's there. Uh, one of the things, of course, that will come up, whatever size of company uh, we're talking about. Uh, is cost <laughs> right. uh, in the good old brochure days? Those cost money. Uh, you put a stamp on it and things like that. Uh, I think there's a a misconception in a lot of people's mind that what you and I are talking about here is 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 free. And some of it is free, but some of it comes through paid advertising. And and can you give us a sort of a profile of of the types of different types of communications advertising? Um, that uh, you see out there, and and possibly uh, a benefit or two of, of of just a few of them.
2: Well, they all have benefit, but there again, that's what my my what I was talking about before is is that they all have benefit, but they all have rules, and they own those platforms, so you can advertise on those platforms. Uh, but you have to abide by, by their rules. And sometimes the rules make sense, but sometimes they're kind of arbitrary. Uh, a, a quick story I'll tell right now is, is that just recently I was doing advertising for a local company uh, that's a restaurant. And they happen to have been forced to close, as we all know, during this, uh, this, this virus. And so they wanted to put a communication out on, uh, on uh, Facebook. That said, that we've closed due to the virus. Well, Facebook banned their account because they used the word "covid virus," because they were afraid that there were going to be people trying to take advantage and scam and so forth. Which is probably a good thing to be afraid of. But the problem is, is that there's no recourse, and so you have to be aware of the fact that there's things that can happen uh, when you're when you're doing these uh, these these platforms. Now, having said that, I really am in favor of using all of these platforms. You just have to be very aware that you can't put all of your eggs in one basket. You have to have a, a multi-channel uh, approach, which by the way, makes sense anyway, because none of your, all of your customers aren't going to be able to be communicated with by one channel. Everybody has their own preferences and so forth, whether it be video or Facebook or uh, whether it be actually one of the main things is is uh, on your own website, making sure that you've got the information, and then be able to use uh, advertising to drive people to to your website. So, by and large, I'm in favor of all the platforms. you just have to be very careful because they they are arbitrary sometimes in their uh, method of enforcement.
1: Yeah. So, uh, in in the uh, in the world that we're in today. Uh, each one of these uh, different channels, you're saying, uh, has their own rules uh, that are out there. And uh, I think a bit of uncomfortableness that you're suggesting is those rules are unclear uh, sometimes, or (laughs) a large percentage of the time, and they're also changing um, without any notification. And so we have those types of channels, as you were mentioning, Uh, We also have uh, our websites or, uh, you know, an organization's website that I'm going to suggest we have a little bit more control over. Notice the inflection in my voice. I think, uh, uh, is there the same type of, uh, uh, how should I put it, uh, uh, sensitivity, uh, you know, know, that's there? And so...
2: No, no. On the on the website, or on your on your own website, that's in my mind, that's another uh, situation where you you own the data. You know, all the information that's on your website and so forth is yours. And the reason is because there's no one entity that controls it. You can you you can have your website hosted on uh, GoDaddy. Somebody else could have it over here. If you get mad at one person, we can move your whole site to somewhere else. You own your website and you own your data. Now, the rub comes from we need people to be able to see your website. And so there's things involved around, uh, you know, SEO and and uh, how that you can do ads that are driving people to your website and so forth. But there again, it's your website. And so if one channel or one method starts becoming a problem, then we just go to another method to drive people to your website. And that that is really what I recommend to people is that their main asset is their customer list, their Uh, email list and their website those are your main assets that you own everything else you're just kind of renting space on somebody else's site and so you have to you have to know that and there's a lot of people that have spent a lot of time and a lot of money building up their presence on one platform to have some rule change uh make it a moot point facebook is notorious for that
1: Fantastic. So, uh, Clark, very, very interesting. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, uh, Today's topic is Data-Driven Marketing, the Key to Digital Transformation. We're going to take a short break and uh, we'll return in just a few minutes and continue with our guest, Clark Keller. See you back in a few minutes.
0: Virtual Business Architecture Services from the Business Architecture Center of Excellence. We'll provide you with the expertise of our consulting services remotely so you can achieve your goals quickly, efficiently, and economically. Using our business architecture methodology, complemented by our full BACOE practitioner support, we will help you achieve the same great results without any travel at a reduced cost. Please visit BACOE.org backslash virtual BA for more information. Are you frustrated with your business strategy, mission, or enterprise architecture efforts? If so, the book, Reaching the Pinnacle, A Methodology of Business Understanding, Technology Planning, and Change by leading enterprise architect practitioner Sam Holtzman, brings a method to the marketing madness that surrounds the enablement of business and mission strategy and enterprise architecture. This helpful, no-nonsense book sheds light on this poorly understood topic. It helps business executives and technology professionals build an enterprise architecture appropriate to their organizational needs, enabling their business and mission strategy. Enterprise architecture is the rethinking of how business and mission planning and information technology can support each other to achieve its strategic and mission objectives through the development of a series of project initiatives and Agile models reaching the pinnacle is available at amazon.com are you stuck in your enterprise architecture practice with nothing but a bunch of static models and deliverables aimed at future technology development efforts rather than true business understanding with the enterprise architecture center of excellence four-day certification workshops you will learn proven step-by-step enterprise architecture techniques to be used as the baseline For addressing continuous business and organizational change, for dates, locations, and more, visit eacoe.org. No travel, no problem. The Enterprise Architecture Center of Excellence and Business Architecture Center of Excellence are experts in offering distance learning enterprise architecture and business architecture certification workshops throughout the year. Your experience mirrors our face-to-face workshops and are not just remote broadcasts. You will collaborate in teams across the world, just as though you were across the table. For dates and registration, visit eacoe.org and bacoe.org. You are listening to the 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman. We welcome questions and comments about the program via email to Sam at EacoE.org. That's Sam at EacoE.org. Now, back to the 2020s Enterprise.
1: Welcome back to the 2020s Enterprise. Uh, this is Sam Holtzman and uh, my guest today is Clark Keller from uh, Data-Driven Marketing. And the topic today is uh, uh, Data-Driven Marketing, <laughs> the Key to Digital Transformation. Uh, more than a coincidence that I invited uh, Clark uh, to our show today because of the absolute requirement uh, that marketing today is about data and uh, driving that market through data understanding as we uh, as we see it in the first uh, segment of our show we talked about uh, uh, the various aspects of, of these types of actions and activities and and some of the various uh, uh, channels that are possible in the digital world that's there. And what I'd like to just briefly talk about now is what I call, uh, with Clark, uh, getting through the the noise. Uh, All of us, uh, whether you have a smartphone or a computer, PC, Mac, whatever it is, uh, we get uh, bombarded by things that we ask for and we get bombarded by things that we really haven't asked for uh that you know that you know that's there and so as somebody that is sending out uh, uh you know advertisements or notices uh, you have this coming up or that coming up or things like that and of course we in our own you know activities of of enterprise and business architecture uh, send all sorts of communications out uh continually uh Clark is is, is there a a an understanding of how to get through some of the noise that's out there. In other words, the constant it seems like barrage uh, of things that are out there.
2: Yeah, it's uh, it's very much the same as back when we talked earlier about uh, the good old days with direct mail. And uh, back in the good old days with direct mail, they always used to call that junk mail. And the thing is, is that uh, we always kind of kidded about the fact that people sorted their mail over the mailbox and they were throwing things away as they, as they go along. So it's not a problem that's new. Uh, it's the same thing that was then as it is now. It's just now it's, you know, different channels and email and text messages and, uh, you know, ads and so forth. But here's the secret. The secret is, is that I only consider things junk that I'm not interested in. And if you were to send me back in the good old days with direct mail, something about fishing, I had no interest because I don't fish. That's not something I do. But if you would have sent me something about ham radio, I would have been all over that. It never would have gotten thrown away. I'd have read every word. So the same thing is true with getting through the noise now, is you have to have a good understanding of who your audience is, and what their interests are. And make sure that the things you're sending to them match their interest. And if it's of interest to them and if it's of value to them, they will get you through the noise. They will bookmark you. They will make sure that they open your emails and read your ads. So that really is the secret. And it's very simple. It's hard to do sometimes, but it's a very simple concept.
1: So it's, it's about uh, information uh, relevancy, if I can use that phrase. Uh, how, how, my goodness, can we find out? <laughs> uh, you talked about ham radio versus fishing. And uh, uh, let's say today uh, I'm not interested in fishing, but all kidding aside, six months from now or six years from now, I say, you know what? Uh, at my new age, uh, I may be interested in fishing uh or I just got a you know a ham radio kit, and uh, I've upgraded my license uh to a certain class and and uh I want to get on a uh using a more contemporary phrase a blog about fishermen that are ham radio operators <laughs> okay. so yeah. as the messages are constantly changing, and uh uh is there any type of uh way to get a little insight into an individual's desires? Uh, In other words, you get the scattershot approach or or are there other ways that are a a bit more...
2: Yeah, I'll I'll make an analogy again back to the uh, direct mail days. Back in the direct mail days is what we would do is, is that if I wanted to make sure that I was sending information to people that had an interest in fishing, I would buy the subscription list for a fishing magazine or several fishing magazines. And I might even get real fancy and make it so that I only mailed to people that subscribe to more than one fishing magazine. But the way I would do that is I would buy those subscription lists or rent them, and I would you know, process that down and come up with the names of the people that had subscribed, and we'd mail it out to there. Today, it's the same concept, except that it's unbelievably more uh, intricate and sophisticated. Everything that you do anywhere on anything is in a database somewhere. When we go to the grocery store, my wife goes to the grocery store and they print out the uh, the receipt. On the back of the receipt are coupons. The coupons are always coupons for things that she buys. You know, they, they know what, what kinds of things she buys. Whenever you go and you fill out a warranty card, that information is available to the data aggregators. If you... Uh, as you browse the internet, the different pages that you spend time on, they, those, that pieces of data gets collected in, in some cases. And it's very, very sophisticated where you can hyper-target. And to give you an example, uh, they say that on Facebook, not just the things that you've given them voluntarily, but just all the things that they've derived from your activity, they have over 400 bits of data about most people. And the fact is, is that these big data aggregators are able to take data from here and data from there and aggregate it and use algorithms to kind of predict what you might be in the market for. And it's called in-market in lists. And it's pretty sophisticated. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a really great thing for people like myself who are marketers You know, there's other sides of that coin that we'll talk about later. But from a marketing standpoint, it's very interesting for me to be able to pinpoint in a community of people a specific subset of things that they are likely to be interested in. The reason that's interesting is because it costs money to advertise. So if I can advertise only to people that have a high probability of being interested in what i do my cost per result goes way down and so that's that's really the way it works now is it's uh, all the data that's available we're able to uh use it in the terms of helping us identify the correct person for uh,
0: for our marketing effort for whoever we're working with
2: but isn't
1: uh in the digital world that we're in right now especially uh I know we've had the situation uh, where uh, we were, uh, you know, accused of sending out uh, mail to people, emails to people uh, that weren't uh, opted in, and uh, that is now a legislative issue, uh, you know, that's out there. So I'm a little confused, and possibly the audience is confused too, as how we how we do this in today's environment that you know, has protections that sometimes make sense and sometimes don't, um, you know. And uh, uh, it's, it's more than, in other words, it's more than privacy. To me, privacy is I've told you I don't want to hear from you anymore, But uh, in some cases. But in the case of you and I are talking now, uh, I, I can't go out and buy a targeted list, I don't believe, like we not, could in the mail days. Am not, I wrong there or do I see no, that difference No,
2: not for email. Email has very strong uh, uh, rules and and laws to protect you from that. However, that's not the only channel. The channel that I was being able to talk about with all the targeting are advertising channels, whether I'm advertising on Facebook, LinkedIn, or if I'm advertising on Google or what's known as the real-time bidding networks. Uh, You know, there's just a ton of different places out there, all of which – you're able to use this hyper-targeting. Now, here's, here's the way that we are able to bring email into the mix if we choose to. in the fact that once I hyper-target through whatever platform, let's just say uh, Facebook, and I send out ads, the thing I'm going to ask for you to do is to interact with that ad in some way and opt in to uh, my email list. And once you've opted in, now I can hyper target you not only on Facebook, but I can also send you emails. But I want to emphasize that it's still very important that you make sure that the types of things you're sending in your emails are probably going to be of value to the person receiving it. It can't just always be bye, 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 come see me, come see me. It should be things that are more uh, useful. To them, But we can definitely do hyper-targeting on all of the advertising platforms, and then email is a separate case in the fact that you can't spam people without having had permission to send them emails. But if they give you permission, and then you do send them things that are valuable and interesting to them, then they will read it. One of the problems that I see people have is they worry about their unsubscribes that, you know, they send out an email and they get unsubscribes. That's a beautiful thing. We don't want to send things to people that are no longer interested in receiving them. So you want them to be able to unsubscribe. So the truth is, is good marketing technique and good marketing practices doesn't go afoul and doesn't isn't hindered in any way by by the. uh, the email laws. It, it really is a benefit. I wish to heck we could enforce it better because the truth, as you know, is that every day you get hundreds of emails that you never asked for, that you never got, and it is a real problem that causes all of us a, an issue. But uh, that, that's how that's how it works. Is you get the hyper targeting on the uh, on the uh, ads, and then once you decide that you. If you need to or want to, then you can bring them into your email list by asking them to join.
1: This uh, multi-channel approach is now coming, becoming really clear, Clark. Thank you for that. It's starting to make uh, some sense here uh, that uh, unlike the uh, uh, snail mail days with brochures, uh, there's a bit more sophistication here on uh, and, and how this all works. So looking a, a, a piece of paper with a stamp on it uh, ain't gonna do it anymore.
2: <laughs> no, no actually direct mail in some cases is making a little bit of a comeback, but it's a different kind of direct mail than what I did. back when when I was doing it we would we would consider a small mail a small mailing to be you know uh, 20,000 pieces. Uh, you know somebody would call up and say, I want to do a big mailing and I'd say, oh great and they'd say, well, you know I got 300 names. Uh, that's that's really not what I'm looking at today it's the other way around is that you only want direct mail only works if you're hyper targeting down to a very small uh, list that you know is in the right list and then you send a very personalized not a bulk uh, you know resident <laughs> resident only email type or uh, you know yeah, yeah. package yeah
1: I, I I know that dear to whom it may concern doesn't work anymore uh, no, you know no, that's, that's, uh, that's- that's there, and we still get we still get some of those emails, of course, and, and all of us do, uh, you know, as we uh, you know go through uh, all of these uh, all of these activities. So, getting through the noise, you, uh, you're using the phrase uh, hyper targeting, and, and, and really getting to that individual. But underlying this is, is an important theme that you've been stressing, and that's uh, the the relevancy of of the information. Uh, the relevancy of the information uh, that you're sending out. Uh, I want to explore, uh, we just have a few minutes left in this uh, segment, but also in in the next one, this, this trend that we're seeing that is really uncomfortable. And that trend is, I want it for free. <laughs> and uh, if I don't get it for free, I'll go find somebody else uh, that will give it to me for free. And one of the phrases that I I always use is that there is no such thing as best practices on the internet. Uh, there are published practices. Best practices cost money, and um, I I always quote a very famous technology person, uh, and her name is Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, when Apple Music, Apple, uh, Tim Cook, and and, and at Apple. Uh, introduced to great fanfare, Apple Music uh, to the world. And he said, uh, "Hey, I'm going to do everybody a favor, and I'm going to provide this for free to everybody for 90 days." And uh, Taylor Swift that evening wrote a just an incredibly poignant email to Tim Cook, and without repeating the whole. Uh, email. The last line was the most relevant, and she said to Mr. Cook, "We don't ask you for free iPhones. Please don't ask us for our music for no cost." <laughs> and so, when it comes to the the internet and the information um, that we see, uh, there's still the requirement to generate positive cash flow, uh, whether we're comfortable with that phrase or not. Uh, We all like a roof over our head and food on the table. And so the messages that we send out uh, need to be, as you said, relevant, but if there isn't a marketing tone to it, how do we generate money to keep that going?
2: (laughs) Well, uh, let's see if I can unwind that a little bit. <laughs> the, thing, the thing that started with uh, the internet and things being free is that it started because uh, software companies, you know, uh, uh, SaaS companies, they found that they could take and give away a light version of their software, and a percentage of people with a lot of people would sign up because it was a free uh, version. But a lot of people would get going with it and get using it, and then they would go to the paid version because it had more features. Then that kind of morphed into people finding out that they would be able to give away information and that information would get people to sign up and then they would want to have them move into the next step. So the problem is is that people get confused that when we talk about giving something and giving value and giving information, you don't give away the whole store you give them a potato chip, you give them a sample, you give them something that's useful, but it's only a portion of the overall solution that you're trying to sell or promote. And uh, it, it, that's, that's a simple concept, but it can be difficult to figure out how to do because you really do need to figure out to, to put something together that is valuable and that they come away with thinking that they weren't just cheated and And and, uh, told to come to watch this video or this webinar, and it was nothing but a sales pitch. So you really need to give them something of value. But it's got to be a taste. It's got to be a portion. It's got to be a sample of what could be on the other side if they chose to cross over and start doing business with you. It's a trust builder, basically. Fantastic. Fantastic. and that's that's really the way that it has to work. And and I have I know what you're talking about because I've seen people that they just they just give away the whole store. I mean, you know, when you get all done and you go, well, fantastic! I sure don't need to buy anything because I already have it. You know, I, you know, we don't want to do that. We really we really kind of into this uh, making money thing. That's kind of kind of a habit of mine. I kind of take it as a you got to have it. You know, <laughs> it's a it's a given. You got to make money.
1: Fantastic. We're going to take a quick break, Clark, and uh, we're going to continue on in this fascinating conversation. We'll see you back here in just a few minutes.
0: Virtual Business Architecture Services from the Business Architecture Center of Excellence will provide you with the expertise of our consulting services remotely so you can achieve your goals quickly, efficiently, and economically. Using our business architecture methodology complemented by our full BACOE practitioner support, we will help you achieve the same great results without any travel, at a reduced cost. Please visit BACOE.org backslash virtual hyphen BA for more information. Are you frustrated with your business strategy, mission, or enterprise architecture efforts? If so the book reaching the pinnacle a methodology of business understanding technology planning and change by leading enterprise architect practitioner sam holsman brings a method to the marketing madness that surrounds the enablement of business and mission strategy and enterprise architecture this helpful no-nonsense book sheds light on this poorly understood topic it helps business executives and technology professionals Build an enterprise architecture appropriate to their organizational needs, enabling their business and mission strategy. Enterprise architecture is the rethinking of how business and mission planning and information technology can support each other to achieve its strategic and mission objectives through the development of a series of project initiatives and agile models. Reaching the Pinnacle is available at Amazon.com. Based on over 30 years of real world experience, the business architecture center of excellence four-day certification workshops in business architecture will guide you beyond theory and into actual implementation if you are looking to develop a baseline for business agility through goal-aligned prioritized capabilities we will help you get there you will leave our workshop with real tools processes techniques and most importantly true hands-on business architecture project practice for dates locations, and more, visit BACOE.org. No travel, no problem. The Enterprise Architecture Center of Excellence and Business Architecture Center of Excellence are experts in offering distance learning enterprise architecture and business architecture certification workshops throughout the year. Your experience mirrors our face-to-face workshops and are not just remote broadcasts. You will collaborate in teams across the world just as though you were across the table. For dates and registration, visit EACOE.org and BACOE.org. You are listening to The 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman. We welcome questions and comments about the program via email to sam at EACOE.org. That's Sam at E-A-C-O-E dot org. Now, back to the 2020s Enterprise.
1: Welcome back to the 2020s Enterprise. I'm Sam Holzman, and the topic today is uh, data-driven marketing, the key to digital transformation. And my guest today is Clark Keller, whose company is actually called Data-Driven Marketing. And in our first two segments, we were chatting about the various types of avenues Uh, that are available to people and organizations uh, in this digital age to get their message across. And we left our conversation in the last segment about the, the difficulty that we see of people looking for uh, information, if I can call it that, or intellectual property uh, for free and getting them to move from the, the free side uh, to the, more expensive side. So one of, the, one of the examples I want to throw out there for the dialogue that we're going to have with Clark uh, is if you're listening to this program in the uh, May 2020 timeframe, uh, one of the most popular new products out there is Zoom. And uh, it's incredible how many people around the world have latched on to and what people I don't think recognize the free version of Zoom and one of restriction it has on there is a a time limit uh and there's also uh, other limits that are there, that are imposed now there are i believe hundreds of millions Clark people using the free version and i'm going to throw a number out there tens of millions of people and we are one using the commercial version um And so there's this, I recognize the sampling that's going out there, but some people are are going to be happy with the free version, I I guess. And what you're saying is, well, you just sort of let them go?
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I do. uh, Zoom's a good example. Before the the, uh, shutdown and before the virus, there were, as I understand it, there were 10 million people uh, that were using Zoom in one form or another, either free or paid. And now there's 300 million people using Zoom because it got them using it. There's people out there. It's it's if it, there's all kinds of people that have never done an online uh, webinar or or meeting or anything before that now have. So now they're familiar with it. They're out there, and it it's making it to be a little bit like the old days of Kleenex. You know, there's a lot of different tissues, but everybody calls it Kleenex, and That was their goal. That's why they do that. They give that away for free. And if you think about it, they have to have an infrastructure that can handle a massive load anyway. And so it really incrementally doesn't cost them any money to let one more person sign up for free. But that other person now becomes kind of like a spokesperson saying, oh, yeah, we did a Zoom. I did this. I did that. And then a certain percentage, and there again, they go back. They, I'm sure they know their data. They know out of how many free accounts they have will turn into paid accounts, and how much money that they need to charge the paid accounts to cover the whole thing. So that that's really the model, and that's that works really well with uh, uh, you know uh, software as a service type of uh, of companies. It's not a direct correlation then to companies like you and me where we don't have software as a service. What what I would say there is you want to give away information, but you're giving away information to show to them that you have solutions and that you have answers and you are the one that can handle those solutions and answers. But you don't tell them everything they need to know to do it. Without you, and so consequently, you end up getting people to trust you and feel comfortable with you because they have had information from you that proved to be valuable, and and that's the secret. Now it's it's a secret, but it's it's not always easy to accomplish. Right,
1: <laughs> right, fantastic. Let me ask you a question about uh, the thumb surgery all of us are going to have pretty soon. In other words, the movement from keyboards uh, to these five to six inch devices that are in our pockets and our hands and our purses. Of course, we're talking about uh, smartphones. And the four forms of communication uh, that we see, and maybe I don't have the right number here. Uh, One is text. One is what I call messaging which is different than text in my mind maybe it's not the other one is chat interactive and the other one is videos and when i say videos maybe there's segmentation too Uh, there's video and there's video chat and there's (laughs) things like that Uh, there's a messaging difference i think there uh and with your expertise uh is there a trend that you're seeing moving from one to the other or based on platform or things like that that you could uh, tell our audience about?
2: Yeah, let me kind of go through those. Uh, First off, uh, by and large, most people hate bots. And the reason they hate them is because they're done poorly and they become frustrating. Whether that bot be uh, a phone tree that you call in and you can't get out of or, or if you're trying to do a messenger bot, that you're interacting with on a company on your phone. They, if they're done poorly, people hate them. But they have a lot of promise because they're, uh, artificial intelligence is coming a long way and things are going to get there. But right now, people, by and large, hate them. Now, there's a big trend in the marketing world to be out. Everybody selling bots is the new uh, panacea. But the truth is, by and large, very few of them work out except for Customer service, and that has to be done in a way that it's easy for them to transition from a automated bot to a real life human. It has to be able to have a transition. Now, the second thing you talked about is chat. Chat is really good, uh, and I use chat when I call people and doing uh, or when I'm uh, you know trying to get support and so forth. But the thing about chat that is uh, a little bit of a downside is you have to be on their website in order to have the chat so basically if you're doing chat you're entering their world and you know if if they can't get to you right away then you're going to sit there and look at the screen waiting on them to come back but it really is quite a good thing to be able to talk to a real life human uh, on the other end if you've got a problem that you want solved right now then you get to text text I think is going to have an unbelievable resurgence uh, right now been around forever, 70 to 80% of all the people in the world say they'd like to be able to text with a business. And the thing is about text is, is that now the company is entering my world because my vehicle to talk to you is on my phone with me at all times. And so consequently, I'm not there waiting on your screen looking at your web page, trying to get a chat, I'm on, I send a text and I'm waiting for you to reply. And I, I can go to the market. I can be anywhere I want to get that, to get that chat book and back and forth. So I'm really thinking that uh, text messaging is going to have a, a real uh, resurgence. Plus the technology is changing. They're going to be going to uh, what they call, instead of SMS, it's going to be RMS. And it has all kinds of uh, chat-like features, you know, where you can have automatic messages and so forth, you know. but that but the technology is moving to make that even more attractive. And then video, I love video and video uh, is probably the preferred way for getting information uh, quite a bit of information or educating or, or promoting uh, that there is and people watch videos on their phone all the time and, and that brings me to the last point which is People don't realize how fast it's shifting, but there right now, 80% of all searches for a local business are done on a phone. 80%, and 90% of the people that do those searches end up frequenting one of the businesses that they that they uh, they search for online within the, uh, within a couple of days. So uh, the phone is the thing; it really is. It, it's it's an amazing. Vehicle and all of marketing is moving towards figuring out how to leverage the uh, the phone in the marketing better because the the fact is is that the the website is um, still vital and it's still something that you own but it has got to be able to be viewed conveniently on the phone. It can't just be on a desktop.
1: So that shift is uh, pretty strong in in, in your mind.
2: Yeah, it really is, yeah.
1: So we've got uh, just a a few minutes left before our our show for today ends. Uh, There were two things that uh, I think have come up here that uh, I'd like to just have a little bit of elaboration on. And that's the issue of, uh, you said it so well, the uh, hyper-targeting actions and at the same time the concepts of privacy. Can you just give us some closing thoughts there on on what you're seeing and what you'd recommend to people that are in this area right now?
2: Well, I've got mixed feelings on um, how privacy works because from a marketer, from a marketing point of view, I love hyper-targeting. I love the fact that I can get all that information and so forth. And as long as I can't say, give me everything you know about Sam Hulsman." and get a whole list of everything that you've done in the last few weeks or years and everything that all the different people know. As long as I can't do that, then I'm very comfortable with being able to have that data out there. Where I start worrying, and it goes back to one of your main concerns is security more than privacy, is the fact that big data, and what I mean by big data is, I mean these big data aggregators. If they are able to get data from multiple places, they're able to put together profiles of people. And if we lose security of people, if, if those big data loses security, then it's conceivable that somebody, you know, maybe the government, but somebody could go in and figure out more about you than you know. And that bothers me. And so I am a proponent of hyper-targeting and having all that information, but I'm also a proponent of People taking strong, strong action on legislation, on security, you know, just everything. Because I really want to avoid that problem of having all of the medical, all of your purchases, all of your everything, all aggregated in one place that somebody could look at and maybe use as a, 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 some sort of a leverage against you in some way. So, like I said, don't be afraid of hyper-targeting and all that but be supportive of uh, people that are concerned about security because it's an issue.
1: Fantastic. Clark, this has been very, very informative to our audience. And uh, if somebody wants to uh, uh, get some more information from you or, or contact you directly, can uh, you give us your uh, email address or any other form you'd like to sure. uh, have there uh, for people to contact you, please?
2: Yeah, it's clark at Digital. Dot com. That's data driven marketing digital.com. DDM. It's not, you know, I'm just making sure you knew what the DDM was. And then, um, you know, my uh, my 800 number is 800 324 8080. And you can just call me direct. I, I'd love to chat with anybody about anything.
1: Thanks, Clark. We appreciate it. End of our show for today Data driven marketing. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.